0: God, we're just thankful for this morning. I just love seeing all those kiddos on the stage leading us in worship. Just so thankful for this time of year, every single year, where we get to just pause and reflect on the fact that, Jesus, you came for us. You became a human being. You experienced what we experienced, and you rescued us from our sin, and we're just thankful. And as we spend these Sundays thinking about that, I just pray that, God, you would embolden and strengthen and increase our faith. I pray that this morning is not an annual ritual. I pray that it's not lost in the noise of the holiday season. But, God, I pray that the reality of the incarnation this morning, as we read about it in the Scriptures would impact us in a fresh and new way. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room right now who feels like they don't belong, anyone in this room right now who feels like you are frustrated with them, I pray in this moment that your spirit would convince them of your grace and your patience. Help us to really see who you are this morning, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. We're continuing our Advent series, A Weary World Rejoices. And this has been a series where we've been looking at some scriptures through the Gospels about Jesus and who Jesus was. And really, one of the biggest questions we're asking through this series is, what was Jesus like If you were to encounter the incarnated God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, what would he be like? What would his personality be like? How did he treat people? Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus Christ in the flesh is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And so if you want to see what is God like, who is God, then you look to Jesus. And that's been the point of this entire Advent series. And this morning, here's my hope. My hope is, by by the time we're done studying the scriptures together, that you would just be convinced that God is really patient. I hope that you're convinced of the patience of God. And we're going to see that in the patience of Jesus this morning. And I'm just more convinced that the more Uh, uh, the more we believe in God's patience towards us, the more patient we'll be towards ourselves and other people. Uh, One of the things that I'm keenly aware of when it comes to a church setting like this is that there really isn't a space more ripe for imposter syndrome than the church. You guys know what imposter syndrome is? I think all of us feel it in some way shape or form, right? Imposter syndrome. Here's the Wikipedia definition. Imposter syndrome, right, is when people doubt their skills, talents or accomplishments and have a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as frauds. And I think there's not a place really more ripe for people to feel this than the church. If you've ever walked into a church before, or you've interacted with church people, or you've gone to a small group or a Bible study, there are many times we enter into that space, and the thing that we're thinking is, man, I don't belong here. I don't know enough. My week has not gone the way that it should have for me to be welcome here. If people really knew my thoughts, my doubts if people really knew my spiritual habits or the lack thereof, then they would probably look down on me. And the reason why I think the church is ripe for people to feel imposter syndrome, right, is because when we walk into a space like this, right, there's kind of three audiences. Right, first of all, there's the audience of myself. Now, I know me really well. Right? I know my thoughts. I know my doubts. I know how much I've read the Bible. I know kind of the condition of my faith. I know all of those things about me. And then there's God. And we believe God's all knowing. Right? He knows my thoughts too. And he knows the condition of my faith. And he knows how my week went. And he knows how much. Bible knowledge I have or don't have. He knows all of that. So it's like, okay, him and I have kind of got this shared knowledge. And then I can walk into a space and the third audience is you. Or it's the other people of the church. Now, they don't know those things. And I can choose to Let them know or not let them know. I can choose to act a certain way or not act a certain way. We all kind of interface with each other in different ways, but that's why it's so ripe for imposter syndrome because we come in and we're like, ugh, well I kind of God knows all of the things that are wrong with me and all of the ways in which I'm immature and all of the things that I have or have not done. God knows I know, but they don't let's see if I can get through this without them knowing. But we kind of have this like guilt and fear going on at the same time. I feel guilty cuz God knows and I'm fearful that he's going to expose me. Do you ever feel that? I'm telling you, as the preacher, I probably feel it the most in the room. I have to stand on this stage most weeks and be the like spiritual guy I have to be the one with all the Bible knowledge. I have to be the one to teach and lead and exhort you. And that's something God has called me to do. But there's so many Sundays I stand on this stage and I'm like, oh, man. If, like, people really knew kind of how my spiritual week went, right, they're probably not going to listen to me. Ripe for Imposter syndrome, right? This place can be one of those places that it's just like everyone looks put together and I realize how much I'm not put together and God certainly knows how much I'm not put together and that just messes with us. If you feel that, you're not alone. But what if God was far more patient with us than we imagined? What if God's expectation of us was not instantaneous maturity? Uh, 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 Instantaneous, perfect, spiritually disciplined week. What if that actually wasn't God's expectation of us? What if he was far more patient with us than we ever imagined? What if God's patience with us is not just a reflection of his grace, but his strategy. What if God's patience with us and how we live our lives and stumble along in this Christian life was not just a reflection of his grace? Oh, it absolutely is, and we'll talk about it. But it's also his strategy and how he's growing and maturing and molding and shaping us. I want us to look at Peter's story in the scriptures. I love the Apostle Peter. And we read about a lot of encounters that Peter has with Jesus and other people throughout the Gospels. What we know about Peter is Peter was a major leader in the church. You could argue was the leader in the early church for many years. And I want to look at his story uh, have you ever had a uh, "I'm such an idiot" moment? Have you ever had one of those, like where something comes out of your mouth, or you do something, or you say something? Maybe just kind of, you know, your anger came over you, or emotion came over you, or whatever it was—intensity, passion—and you just said something, and you did something, and you step back, and you're like, "Oh, like I can't believe I did that." Like it's funny; those kind of moments get seared into our memory. It's kind of how the long-term memory works. So like, I have this moment that gets replayed in my head all the time. It was when I was playing football, I know I talk about that a lot, but I was playing football as my senior year. We were losing the game, and we didn't lose games when I played football. So, uh, so we were losing the game, and I was so angry, I was so wrapped up into the moment, I ran to the sideline and chewed my coach out. And he returned back fire in a way that is replayed in my head for years and years and years, right? And in such a way where I got sat down on the bench and kind of put in my place. And it's one of those moments where I'm like, I can't believe I said that. Have you ever had those moments? Or I remember distinctly a time when my wife and I were having a fight and I lost my temper. And the things I said to her and I left the room, and I go, I cannot believe that just came out of me. You ever had that before? Man, that's like was Peter's like, experience with Jesus, okay? If you read through the Gospels, like time and time again, Peter's in this, I can't believe that just happened moment. Like, I'm, I'm, I can't read all of this. I don't have time for that. But, like, if you go to Matthew 14, right, it's the story of when Jesus is walking on water. And Peter's like, I want to do that. Jesus is like, come on. So he gets out of the boat and he starts walking, and then he, then he looks at the waves and the wind, and he gets afraid, and he sinks into the water, and Jesus helps him back onto the boat. But you could imagine what Jesus is, or what Peter's feeling in that moment, right? Like, man, what, what what happened? What's what's wrong with me? Why why didn't that work? Or Matthew chapter sixteen, this one's remarkable. Jesus is letting his disciples in on his plan. He's going, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. He's telling them, plain as day, the plan. And Peter, the scripture says, takes Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. And what does Jesus say back to him? Get behind me, Satan. Oh, Jesus just called Peter Satan, Right? Like, what do you think Peter felt? in the moment? like, I can't believe I just rebuked the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? Like, I can't believe that came out of me. Or Matthew chapter 26, there's several in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 26, before this day is over, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says back to Jesus, I will die before I do that. Later in Matthew 26, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and they're praying. And Jesus tells his disciples, My soul is sorrowful and I need you to pray for me. Right? I mean, if someone, your good friend, comes to you and goes, Hey, I need you to pray for me. My soul is sorrowful. Right? You're going to pray for them, right? And so Peter, what does he do? He goes, I'm going to pray. And he goes and he falls asleep. And Jesus finds him later and he goes, I'd asked you to pray. What are you doing? He was sleeping. How do you think Peter felt in that moment? Oh, Jesus asked me to pray and I fell asleep. Same chapter, Matthew 26. All of the, um, the chief priests and the servants come to arrest Jesus. And Jesus has already said, let it happen. This is what's going to happen. Let it happen. This is all part of the plan. And what does Peter do? Moment of passion. Draws a sword. Slices the ear off of one of the servants. And Jesus goes, hey, 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 put the sword back. And he like magically heals the ear. And he's like, this isn't what this is about. What do you think Peter feels in that moment? Like, oh. And then we all know the story at the end of Matthew 26, when after Jesus is arrested and he's being tried and flogged, people start coming up to Peter, hey, you're one of his friends, right? Oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't know the guy. Hey, Peter, no, you're like one of his disciples, one of his followers, right? No, 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 I've, I've never met the guy before. And three times, Peter denies Jesus, just like Jesus told him he was going to do that. And remember, Peter said, I would die before I ever did that. And you have this moment at the end of Matthew 26... Where Jesus, you know, his kind of prophetic pronouncement to Peter was, before the rooster crows, before the end of this night, you'll deny me three times. And Peter does it three times, and the rooster crows, and Peter remembers. And he looks to Jesus, and Jesus is looking back at him. I mean, you're talking imposter syndrome is now like on full alert. You have had the privilege to walk with the Messiah for three years. You are a fraud, Peter. If there was a disciple that struggled with imposter syndrome, I think Peter was it. He had so many of these moments of, I can't believe I just did that. And imagine, like Jesus predicts the denial Peter says that will never happen. It happens. Jesus is all-knowing. Peter's realizing that. Exposed. He's been exposed the entire time. His weaknesses, his immaturity, his rashness, his hot-headedness. That was Peter. It's always been exposed. Jesus always knew that. But it's not long after this, Jesus goes to the cross and then he's in the tomb for three days and then he's resurrected and Jesus is still here before his ascension and he has this moment with Peter in John chapter 21. And that's where I want you to go in your Bibles this morning. John chapter 21. I'll kind of set the scene for you. The disciples are on a boat fishing. And Jesus is on the shore, and he's cooking breakfast. And the disciples see this man on the shore calling out to them, and they eventually realize, oh, this is Jesus. This is the resurrected Lord. And the text says, we're not going to read this part, the text says that Peter dives into the water to go see him. Right? And I love that because it, it makes me think of uh, uh, Forrest Gump and seeing Lieutenant Dan on the dock. You know what I mean? And he just like jumps off this boat to go see him. Like, that's, the, that's the, uh, the, how I see Peter coming after Jesus. But in John chapter 21, after all of this with Peter, after all the ways that Peter had his foot in the mouth, after all the ways that Peter had these moments of, I can't believe I just said that, after denying Jesus three times. We have this moment with Jesus and Peter, John 21, verses 15 to 17. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these to be honest with you, I'm not really sure what the more than these means. Some think it's, do you love me more than the other disciples? Do you love me more than? I? No, no one's really sure. It's not really the point of the question, though. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Now, when he says feed my lambs, he's referring to his church. See, what Peter doesn't quite understand yet is that Jesus, in this moment of restoration, is turning it also into a moment of commissioning. He's about to send his disciples to go start the church, and that's going to be the sheep, the lambs. And he's going to entrust some to feed and to shepherd those. And he says, Peter, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep, or a better word for that is shepherd. Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the incarnate Lord Jesus in this moment. God incarnate. We, on Christmas, celebrate the fact that Jesus came to us in the form of a baby. We celebrate his birth. And the reality is that this is Jesus in human form, the exact imprint of the nature of God, the one who has endured with Peter for three years. And he has this moment with Peter on the shore of restoring Peter and commissioning Peter to go lead the church. The chief shepherd, a name that Peter gives to Jesus. The chief shepherd has entrusted to Peter the ministry of shepherding the church. Now, a normal question to this is Jesus, is this wise? Peter? I mean, hey, we've seen a lot with Peter over the last three years. We see Peter has a problem with speaking without thinking. Peter's hot-headed. What was going on inside Peter that allowed him to just grab a sword and cut a guy's ear off? Pretty sure if I did that as the pastor of this church, y'all would have some questions about me staying as the pastor of this church. Jesus, is it wise that you're going to entrust to Peter the ministry of shepherding the church? God is so patient. He is so patient with us. And the source of his patience is the cross. I don't know if you caught it when... Those little kiddos were reading from Romans 8 for us, but they were reading for us some incredible truth. i to make this taller. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. We just, we've already read this together as a church, but this is the source of God's patience. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all on the cross, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us, whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. The truth of the gospel is this reality that because Jesus goes to the cross, he forgives us of all of our sin, and we now have right standing with God, which means that God has limitless patience with us. It means that God doesn't interact with us or lead us or engage with us on a day-to-day basis with kind of this tally sheet of like, okay, have you proven yourself to me? Then maybe I can entrust you with some stuff. Have you proven yourself to me? Then maybe you can belong in my kingdom. That's not the way God works. What I want us to see is that God's patience with us is not just a reflection of his grace, and it is, but it's also a part of his strategy with us. Like, what if God's plan was to take Peter with all of his faults and all of his personality and his hot-headedness, and let him stumble, let him fall, let him put his foot in his mouth, and then bind up those wounds with his grace and his patience and mold and shape him and use all of those experiences of Peter's failures in God's grace and patience and binding up the wounds and doing it over and over and over again. And God in his strategy is taking Peter and molding him to the leader of the church that he needed. That actually, his expectation wasn't that Peter would get it immediately, that Peter would be mature immediately, but God's strategy included some of the failures. If you flip in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5, so later in your Bible, we have a letter, two letters, that Peter writes to the church because he was one of the leaders of the church, of the early church. And in 1 Peter, this is amazing to me. 1 Peter is a letter that Peter writes to all of these churches that are scattered across the Mediterranean. And they're within an environment, a geopolitical environment, of Emperor Nero over Rome, who is viciously persecuting Christians. And Peter is writing to these Christians, these churches throughout the Mediterranean to encourage them, to embolden them in the face of persecution that, thank God, you and I will probably never come close to. And so when we see Peter in the Gospels, you see this guy who's opinionated, strong, hot-headed, right, quick, does, you know, speaks before he thinks, And he stumbled many times, and Jesus bound him up and restored him and said, I'm going to choose you to lead my church, and molds and shapes him because his patience is his strategy. And then we get Peter 30 years later, 30 years wiser, scarred up but healed, been leading the church for decades now. Look at 1 Peter 5. I'm just going to read a few verses. This is Peter talking. He's just encouraging the churches. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Hey, I was there. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock. Tend the sheep. Feed the lambs. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. How many pastors and church leaders are guilty of domineering over their flock? Peter's saying, don't do that. But be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, hey, I'm going to talk to the, the, the Peters out there, the, the people that I used to be. Those of you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, Peter. Be sober minded. I have have a few scars that has taught me how to be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I've been there. I've been all of those things by Jesus. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see here... A wise, seasoned, matured Peter. Because God's strategy with him was his patience. God is so patient. And the same kind of patience he had with Peter, he has with you, and he has with me. His patience. It's his strategy. So when I think of Peter's story, I think of my own story in so many ways. Like I got, so, my first job in ministry was when I was 20 years old. 20. That's really young. And I still feel young today. I'm 36 today. I still feel so young. And I've been in the ministry 15, 16 years now. And when I was back then at age 20, I thought I knew everything. I, I, I had studied, I knew things, and I, I had, was given opportunities, and I thought that I had nothing to learn from anyone, but everyone had something to learn from me, right? And, and what's so painful, I've shared this before, what's so painful is Facebook reminds, this, reminds me of this so often now with their little memories. Hey, 15 years ago, you posted this. I was going to share one with you. This was March 10th, 2011. I don't know, I would have been what, 23, 24, I don't know, something like that. This is what I said. I'm I'm not saying this to anyone, but I guess all pastors everywhere. Hey, all pastors everywhere, listen to my knowledge. If you lead someone to Christ, pastor them. Don't just bask in the glory and report the numbers. Hashtag wolves. I blacked out who liked it. <laughs> but I look at that like young 23-year-old or whoever, however old I was at that time. And okay, Is that a good thought? Hey, yeah, if you lead someone to Christ, you should pastor him. Yeah, it's a great thought. It's good. But why did I say that, right? I said that because I just thought everyone needed to listen to me. This is kind of who I was. Like I was so confident, so prideful in who I was as a pastor and what I've seen now over the last 15 years if just like Peter, I have absolutely fallen and scraped up my knees. I have a lot of, I can't believe I just said that moments. I've hurt people and God has been so patient with me. I had no business being a minister then. I really didn't. Just like Peter had no business taking up the mantle of leading the church after that moment in John 21. But God is so patient with us. And he's patient with you. I just want you to know that. Like, he's patient with you. And I know you might be thinking to yourself, okay, but Alan, you have no idea what I'm hiding there's stuff that I have knowledge of and there's stuff that God has knowledge of that you don't have knowledge of and you wouldn't say that if you would have known. And I'm saying, no, 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 believe me. I've been around the block several times now as a pastor. I know he is so patient with you no matter what you're filling into that blank. You might be thinking, well, Alan, you know what? No, I'm, I'm divorced and I'm angry and I feel like that that has just kind of ended my life. And I'm saying he is patient with you and he has so much he wants to entrust to you. No, Alan, I'm lonely and I'm depressed and I just can't see God using me for anything significant. And I just want you to know he's patient and it's a part of his strategy. If you could just like change your perspective of God from someone who expects instant maturity out of you to someone who's patient and wants to use all the rough areas of your life, all the hard things of your life, to mold and to shape you. You're gonna open yourself up to a relationship with God that you never thought you could have. God's will is not just to tolerate you. It's to entrust precious things to you. I want you to hear that this morning. God's will with Peter wasn't just to tolerate Peter, but he entrusted to Peter his most precious possession. That was the church that he gave to Peter in that moment. And that's God's will for you. He wants to entrust precious things to you. He has things that he needs you, that he's created you, that he's molding and shaping you for, because his patience is his strategy. And so I believe there's some of you in the room this morning, I really do, and God is saying, hey, do you love me? And you're saying, yeah. He goes, okay, I want to use you. And you're going to go, okay, but God, no, 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 hold on, God. I'm just a high schooler. <laughs> and, man, you should see all the things that I'm struggling with. God's should be, okay, do you love me? Because I want to use you. Because I'm patient. Those things aren't obstacles to me. Like, do you love me? Yes, God, I love you. Okay, I'm going to use you. Well, God, hold on. I, I've only been coming to church for a few weeks now. Like, how, how could you use me? Like, don't I have to kind of grow for a while? Yeah, yeah sure, we're going to do that together, but let's go. I have precious things to entrust to you. Like, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Let's go, I want to use you well, God, I'm not very outgoing and I get really anxious around people in the church and I don't think people really care of the things that I have to say. Hey, But God is so patient. Your doubts don't outweigh his patience. Your sin over the past week has not outweighed his patience. Your lack of Bible knowledge or reading or eloquent praying does not outweigh his patience. It's his strategy in your life. And so what I want you to just sit with in this moment right now is this, that you belong here. And if you trust in Christ, you belong in his kingdom. And he is, the, be the, is going to be the one to be in charge of what he's going to use you for. And we have to open up ourselves to that. We have to be able to name, yeah, I feel a little imposter syndrome here. I don't think I belong here. I don't think God can use me. We gotta name that. We gotta put that at the foot of the cross. And we gotta lean into the fact that God is patient. It's his strategy. And he has things for you that you need to trust him with. So what I wanna do right now is I just wanna step off the stage for a moment and let our our team lead us in a song. But as I do that, I just want you to examine yourself a bit, reflect. Do you feel imposter syndrome? Do you feel like you don't belong? Do you feel like you're the last person that God would use, that God would entrust precious things to? I want you to be able to name that to yourself this morning. And I want you to entertain the idea, the perspective. God is really patient. And that doesn't throw him off all of his plans and his will for your life. I don't care if you're in high school this morning or if you're old and you're like, man, I feel like I have so much life behind me that I've wasted or whatever happened this week. None of it matters. None of it outweighs his patience. So, I'm going to have the band come up. They're going to lead us. I want to leave you with that. I want you to reflect on that question this morning. Let's pray real quick, God. I pray in the room right now that your spirit would give freedom for people to be able to name and articulate what is going on inside of them when it comes to the relationship with you. God, your patience can be like jumping into a hot tub on a cold day. It can sting at first because we don't expect it and we don't think we deserve it. And I pray in this moment, by your spirit and because of what Christ has done on the cross, You would minister your patience to your people this morning.